Well, this has been quite a weekend for your pastor. Um, my uh, lovely wife, who's over at Strawbridge right now, singing her little heart out. Well, not yet. Probably they're in rehearsal. Because it's, it's early, isn't it? <laughs> she booked, un, unknown to me until the night before we left, uh, a, a railroad excursion. I don't know if you've ever done this, but from Rusk to uh, Palestine. Uh, some people say Palestine. Some people say Palestine. I guess Palestine is correct, isn't it, if you're from Texas? Yeah. It's like humble and humble, I guess. But if you haven't done this, you need to do it. It is quite an excursion. They have steam engines and they have this uh, diesel engine, which just happened to be my favorite locomotive in all the world from when I was a child growing up. Um, and it is fabulous. They serve you lunch. Uh, it's not free. They serve you lunch and they just are really uh, cordial and, and it's a great trip. We had a conductor on there who could do stand-up comedy if he wanted to. And it was thoroughly enjoyable the whole, the whole way. Um, but it's been a good weekend. And as, as great as that was, Sunday is always a highlight for me. I get to come here and be with you guys, my church family, and I get to preach the gospel, and um, we have some good stuff this morning. Um, Paul gives us in Ephesians rules for the new life, and weekends like this reminds me that we, we do, in fact, have new life in him. And so the church in Ephesus was was struggling a little bit. They needed a little bit of, of, of guidance, and Paul is always happy to provide that. And so many of these churches that Paul wrote letters to, um, as the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun. So churches today struggle from a lot of the same stuff. And what they needed was just some guidelines. You know, now that we're Christians, now that we're Christ followers, what is it we're supposed to do? How are we supposed to live this new life? Because this process that all of us are on once we accept Jesus, this sanctifying process, well, let's face it, as, as human beings, it doesn't come naturally. And so it's good that there are folks like Paul who have taken the time to write it down for us so that we know what the guidelines are. What does the guidebook say? What's the instruction manual say about how we're supposed to live our lives? And so in Ephesians, in the fourth chapter, uh, going over a little bit into chapter five, Paul gives us some guidelines. Let, let me read the scripture to you, and then we'll break it down just a little bit. Paul says, So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are all members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up 
as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now there are some rules embedded in there. And I want to spend a little bit of time just kind of breaking down this passage from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And he's giving Christians in Ephesus and us, Christians here in Splendora, he's giving us some rules for the new life in Christ. Because, you see, once you make a decision for Christ, the transformation begins. And we have to daily work to be more and more like Jesus. And less and less like the person we were before we accepted Jesus. There's this transformation that takes place. And it's not an easy path. It's not an easy road when we're trying to put away our old self and take on this new person of Christ. Paul acknowledges that it's not easy. And so these guidelines, these rules are here to help us. And if, if you like taking notes, this is a perfect time. There's even a little spot, thanks to Bobby's ingenuity. Uh, we drew some lines in the, in the bulletin. You can actually write down rule number one, and I'll tell you what it is. Rule number one, no more lies, no more pretense. No more lies, no more pretense. In other words, tell your neighbor the truth, even if it's something they don't want to hear. See, because in Christ's body, we're all connected one to the other. We're all connected to each other. And so when you don't tell the truth to your neighbor, you're really just lying to yourself. We're all connected that way. It's that kind of relationship. We have to tell the truth, and we have to tell the truth in the spirit of love. When we do that, everybody benefits. Now, it's not up to you whether or not they take your advice. It's not whether, up to you whether or not they heed the truth. But we all have the responsibility as Christians to tell the truth. And the truth is what? That Jesus Christ is Lord and that everybody needs him as Savior. That's rule number one. No more lies, no more pretense. We're going to tell the truth. Rule number two, this one may interest you. Paul says, go ahead and be angry. Go ahead and be angry. In fact, he says, you will do well to be angry. But then there's a caveat to that. He says, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. That's a hard one, isn't it? If I get a, a, my ire up enough to be angry, that little tendency to want to use that for for uh, maleficence is, is very strong, but it, it, he's very clear here. Righteous anger is a good thing, but don't use it to fuel your revenge. And then he says, and don't stay angry. 
Any of us like to hold a grudge? Oh boy, don't stay angry. And, and furthermore, especially in, within your household, he says, don't go to bed angry. Because when you do that, when you stay angry and you go to bed angry, you give the devil a foothold in your life and in your household. The devil looks for those cracks to get his little fingers into because then he can drive that crack apart just like a wedge and he can use that to bring down the things that are important to you like relationships and family. Rule number two, go ahead and be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. Rule number three, this sounds like it comes straight from the Ten Commandments. He says, don't steal. If, if you use people, if you try to make ends meet by stealing something that doesn't belong to you, that's just plain wrong. Get an honest job, Paul says, so that you can help others who can't work. See, this is where charity comes in. It's not a handout. We're to build up our material wealth and finances, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the rest of the body of Christ. Doesn't mean you can't use some for your own bills. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that you shouldn't steal from other people. You shouldn't take advantage from other people. And when you do an honest day's work and get an honest day's pay, take care of your family, take care of yourself, and use the surplus to take care of those who aren't able. Not who aren't willing, but who aren't able to work. Rule number three, don't steal. Rule number four, watch the way you talk. Ooh, coming out of many years in the Marine Corps, this has always been tough for me. I'll just be honest with you. Let nothing derogatory, let nothing foul, let nothing dirty come out of your mouth. Don't drive in Houston traffic is what he's saying. <laughs> what he's really saying is say only let let the words come out of your mouth be only those words that help treat each word as if it's a gift oh that's hard that's a hard one pastor because too often when i think something it finds its way to my tongue i know it's this that way with me Paul's telling us to watch the way we talk. That's rule number four. Almost there. There are seven rules embedded in that passage of scripture. We're on rule number five. And number five is important. It says don't grieve God. Don't break God's heart. Because his Holy Spirit is living, moving, and breathing in us as Christians. He's taken up residence in us. Now, yeah, he's around us. He surrounds us, but he's also in us. And so there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can think. There's nothing that we can say that God is not aware of. 
He is the most intimate part of each of us. We're inseparable as Christians. We're inseparable from God through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And so rule number five is don't do things, don't think things, don't say things that grieve the Holy Spirit, that break his heart. Because when you do that, you take this gift, this glorious gift that God has given you, and you squander it. I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm sure I have grieved. I fall short. I fall ridiculously short of the glory of God every single day. It's human nature, and I'm struggling against it just like you are. But if we, if we can make a concerted effort not to grieve the Holy Spirit in our daily activities and thoughts and processes and whatever it is we do during the day, that will go a long way in this sanctifying process. Don't grieve God. Don't break God's heart. That's rule number five. Now, number six, Paul says, make a clean break with all the cutting, the backbiting, and the profane talk. Make a clean break. Turn 180 degrees away from sin and turn towards God. Be gentle with one another. That's the rule. Be gentle with one another. Rule six. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. He sent his one and only son to the cross to pay for the sins, past, present, and future of all of humankind. That's about as thorough as you can get. And so Paul is saying, as thoroughly as God forgave you through what Jesus did on the cross, that's how thoroughly you should forgive those who sin against you. Be gentle with one another. Forgive one another. Rule number six. Now the last one, Paul says simply, wake up from your sleep. Wake up from your sleep. Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does, what God is all about, is loving you. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? God that created the universe is so concerned about each of us individually that he spends most of his focus on us. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant, Paul says. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then Paul says, love like that. What Jesus did, giving everything of himself, to us, love other people like that. That's an extravagant love. That's a selfless love. 
And the thing about those seven rules is, if we're willing to follow the rules, if we're willing to heed the guidance, then this transformative, sanctifying power of Christ will work in you. And the Bible says Christ will complete the good work that he started in you. It's a promise that if you will just turn your focus away from the things of the world and towards the things of Christ, then he will do the rest of the work. It's already been done. In fact, all you have to do is accept it and do your very best, your level best, to live like Christ lived. Now, your pastor knows all too well the transformative power of Christ. And I can say, with my mother in the front row, unashamedly, that I am not the man I was before. In fact, I've preached a whole sermon about that, and I'm not going to do it again this morning. But the man you see here is not the man I was even a decade ago. The power of Christ is transformative. Now, if you, if you thought that pastors were perfect people and that's why they got picked to be in the pulpit, then think again, because I guarantee you that's not the case across this church or any other church. It's not me. It's Christ in me. I don't take any credit for who I am now. I, I give all the credit to Jesus, my Savior. And to the God who loved me enough to provide me with the Holy Spirit's nudging to get me to pay attention to the Christ that I needed in my life. And I'm sure your stories, if you're a believer in Jesus, your stories are similar. Not exactly the same, but there was a nudging somewhere in your life that caused you to turn to Christ and away from the stuff that goes on in the world. And even after I decided to take Jesus as my Lord and Savior, he knew that there would be two steps forward and three steps back. It happens. And so Paul, who paid attention to what the Holy Spirit was leading him to write, came up with these simple guidelines. And I think if we can pay attention to those and work to make those, to practice those in our life, then eventually we will be more like Christ and in fact the Bible says because we believe because we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord when we finally go to stand in front of him face to face he will say to us despite all the stuff that we went through to get there he will say to us well done good and faithful servant." what a joyous day that will be because we didn't earn it and we know we didn't earn it and it was a complete and total giving of himself that got us there. I want to hug his neck. And I know you do too. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.